Heavenly Father, may we put our hope in your word this morning. We pray that this would be the foundation of what we believe and what we hope for. And so, Lord, we pray that when others come who fear the Lord, that they would see that we have put our hope in your word and that they would rejoice that here is a church that honours your name and honours your word. And we pray that we would be encouraged to do that even now, to put our hope in your word as we read it together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are returning to a series in the book of 1 Samuel, and so I encourage you to have that open before you now. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 is where we are up to this morning, which is found on page 263, page 263 of the Black Church Bibles. And last time we looked at chapter 1, and we saw the prayer of Hannah there, to have her son Samuel. Uh, The book of Samuel itself uh, comes at a time when Israel is now in the promised land. Uh, the land, uh, the nation of Israel has conquered the promised land and is residing there, and that is when the book of 1 Samuel is at, actually written. So basically, this has come after God has created the world in Genesis, then he's called Abraham to himself in Genesis chapter 12. From Abraham, you get the, um, from his grandsons, they get the 12 tribes of Israel, which are the people who end up enslaved in Egypt, but then under Moses, they are called out of Egypt. Egypt by God, led out by Moses to the promised land, and then Joshua, the book of Joshua is about them conquering that promised land, driving out the other nations, and taking that land for themselves. Then the book of Judges shows a period of time where there's different leaders of God's people, and now we come to the book of Samuel where we will see the last of the judges before we see the kings of Israel. inaugurated by the Lord. So Samuel is the last judge, and then we'll see King Saul, and then the King David, uh, who is the Davidic king, who then takes uh, from his family, we eventually get the Lord Jesus Christ. So 1 Samuel is a very important book in establishing kingship within the kingdom of Israel, the the nation of Israel. And so this morning, we're going to start to see Samuel rising through the ranks, and particularly in contrast to the religious establishment that is operating in the land of Israel at this time. This morning, we're going to be looking at other sons, not so much Samuel, but the sons of the current priest, who is Eli. Eli is the priest in Israel at this time, and his sons are also priests of the land of Israel. And we read a description of them in verse 12. Verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 2, page 263, if you've got one of the church Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 2, we read about Eli's sons that they were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. These sons are under Eli, Eli the priest, and we see uh, Eli was mentioned back in 1 Samuel chapter 1 when Hannah was praying, and then in verse 11 of chapter 2 we see then Alkanah, that's Samuel's father, went home to Ramah, but the boy, that Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. And then from this Eli the priest, we have these wicked men who have no regard for the Lord. Now, how do they have no regard for the Lord? What are they doing that shows that they have no regard for the Lord? Well, we read in verse 13 and following. Verse 13 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. 
Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. So here we have the way that the priests were fed was basically people would bring this sacrifice for the Lord and they would plunge a fork in and whatever it brought up, they would be able to eat. And that's uh, in accordance with God's uh, law. Verse 15, though, tells us why Eli's sons were wicked men. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So here we see that this is the way that people were bringing sacrifices to the Lord. We see that the priests were allowed to take some of the food, but they were not happy with the way, the, the condition that the food would come to them. And so they were forcing the Israelites to give them the raw meat so that they could ha- cook it in the way that they preferred, the taste that they preferred, rather than getting the boiled meat or only getting whatever part would come up with the fork. And there's different parts of the, the animal that you could get, and some parts are not as desirable as others. As you know, if you go to a restaurant, there are different cuts of meat, there are different uh, types of meat that you can eat at a restaurant, and some are preferred over others. And these priests obviously had their own desires as to what they would prefer to eat. And so they're treating the Lord's offering with contempt which is showing their wickedness. And not only are they doing that, if we skip down to verse 22, we see other sin that they are committing. Verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Here these wicked sons are actually committing acts of sexual immorality. They're not only satisfying the cravings of their appetite for food, they're satisfying the cravings of their appetite for sex. And they're doing this in a way that is completely wicked before the Lord. It is normally wicked as well, but of course it is at the Lord's house, the place of great holiness. And these guys are priests. They're meant to be examples to the Israelites as to how you behave. But here we see them treating the Lord's offerings with contempt in such a way that they're even committing acts of violence. They're forcing people who don't want to give the food over. They're forcing them to do so. And here they're also sleeping with the women at the tent of meeting. And so what happens as a result of this? What does Eli do? Well, he does confront his sons about the matter. If we continue reading from verse 23... So he, that is Eli, said to them, that's his sons, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. So here we see that Eli did confront his sons, but that's all he did. And his sons 
were not interested in what he had to say. They ignored him. They were not willing to listen to their father's rebuke. And we see that they will suffer the consequences for it. We see that a rebuke came to not just Eli, but all, um, not just to his sons, but also to Eli in the following verses. We look in verse 27. Verse 27, we read of 1 Samuel 2. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when you were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? So here we see this man of God. He comes and he tells Eli, yes, I have greatly blessed you and your household by choosing your father Aaron as priest many generations back and your house has been blessed by me. So why do you now treat my offerings with contempt? Why do you scorn them? Why do you honour your sons more than you honour me? And then he goes on to give severe warnings as to what will happen if they continue in this way. Read with me from verse 30. Verse 30 of 1 Samuel 2. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honour me, I will honour. But those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your family line, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel... In your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Here we see this man of God comes and warns that there will be strict judgment for the house of Eli as a result of what he, is, he and his sons are doing in the way that Eli is responding to them and the, what his sons are actually doing at the Lord's house of meeting. And it's interesting that they are thinking that they can feed themselves from God's offering, but eventually their house will go hungry. You see that at the end. In verse 36, then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread. Not a, a piece of meat, but a crust of bread. They just want something. And so the irony is shown there that these people who feed themselves on the Lord's offering and treat them with disdain will be disdained themselves. They will be slighted by the Lord. And it's interesting as you go through this passage, chapter 2, you see a contrast with Eli's sons and Samuel. Samuel is mentioned a few times in this text. He comes in and out of the chapter as we see 
Eli's sons behaving badly, we see the goodness that is present in Samuel. Verse 18, look with me at verse 18. So go back earlier in the chapter. So we've seen this terrible sin of the young men in the sight of the Lord. But then in verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah, that's Samuel's uh, father, and his wife, that's Hannah, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And then down to verse 26, again we hear, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favour with the Lord and with men. So we see this contrast coming through of these evil sons, these wicked sons, and also Samuel is rising to the forefront and we'll see him in the weeks to come. So what can we learn from this passage today? What instruction is there for us? Maybe you think that maybe we should start paying me by bringing food each week and getting me to have a three-pronged fork and I can stick it in and whatever I get out, that will be my salary from now on and I need to make the fork fairly long so I can get enough to feed my children as well. Uh, I don't think that is the instruction that I want to give you this week as to what we can learn from this passage. Instead, I would like to look at the idea that is present in the passage of honouring God by disciplining and discipling, disciplining and discipling are very similar ideas, discipling others, because that's what's lacking in this text so clearly. It's lacking from the, uh, it's not lacking from the text. The idea is there implicit in the text because Eli is not disciplining, he's not discipling his sons as he, is, he should be. He is honouring his sons rather than honouring God. And that is what is said for us in verse 29. It says in verse 29, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? See, this is still a problem today. Not in churches where we come together and we do not bring animals, we do not bring sacrifices, so we do not scorn them in the way that Eli did so many years ago. But it still happens today that people scorn the sacrifices of the Lord. What is the sacrifice of the Lord today? Well, the main sacrifice that we consider is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, do people scorn, do people despise that sacrifice that we know as Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is yes. People reject him all the time. People treat him with contempt. They use his name as a swear word. They do not like the Lord Jesus Christ, yet he is the sacrifice of God that is meant to be treated with honour and respect, but instead people treat him with contempt. And then there's another sacrifice, many sacrifices that we're meant to make. The Bible tells us that we ourselves are meant to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God in Romans 12. This is our spiritual act of worship. We're meant to use ourselves and everything that belongs to us as a sacrifice to God. Now, do people treat themselves as sacrifices to God with contempt? Yes, very easily. By using the good gifts that God has given them, including their healthy bodies, 
for their own pleasures, for their own fattening up as Eli's sons were doing so long ago. They take the best things within their lives and instead of giving them to the Lord, their time, their energy, their body, their money, their possessions, instead of giving those things to the Lord, they treat them, those things with contempt as God's sacrifices by using them for their own pleasures. And that is scorning God's sacrifice. Whenever you treat your body as your own and not belonging to God, You're treating God's sacrifice with contempt. Now, the question for us this morning is, who will warn and encourage such people who scorn God's sacrifice, who scorn Jesus Christ, who scorn their own bodies, instead of offering their lives to Christ, to God, they take of what God has given them for their own sinful pleasures? Well, it's Christians who are supposed to warn such people. We are God's priests today. Eli was the priest who was supposed to tell his sons, stop doing that. And we are the priests today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And that's speaking to the church, to God's people. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And part of our role, like Eli should have done, is warning people and helping people to sacrifice rightly to God, to help people to sacrifice Jesus Christ in their place so that they are accepted before God despite their sin and help people to use their bodies as living sacrifices. Now, how does that happen? Well, the term that we often use is discipling or disciplining. That's what should have been happening from Eli. He should have been discipling his sons. He should have been disciplining his sons so that they did what was right And they treated God's sacrifices with honour rather than dishonour. And that is what we're encouraged to do in the scriptures. We're encouraged by God to disciple those around us. We're supposed to disciple others. That's what's given to us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when Jesus is there with his disciples and just before he ascends into heaven, what does he tell his disciples to do? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What is the commission that God has given his disciples, his people? That they're meant to go and make more disciples. They're meant to encourage people to sacrifice rightly to God. And so if you're not discipling people and you call yourself a Christian, I think you're not a Christian. Because God has saved you to do good works and the good work that he wants you to do is to disciple others. If you're not rebuking people for, for treating God's offering, Jesus Christ, with contempt, if you're not telling people that they should be using their bodies as sacrifices to God, using everything that they have for the glory of God, if you're not doing that and you call yourself a Christian, you're calling yourself something that is wrong. You're not a Christian. You are called to make disciples of others. And so if, there's, if you go about your weeks and you never rebuke anyone, you're like Eli, worse than Eli. At least he had a go at his sons. He didn't follow through with the corrections that he should have. We as Christians are God's priests today, and we are responsible to make sure that Christ is honoured as the sacrifice before God and not dishonoured. So how do you do that? How do you disciple others? What's the little encouragements that you give to people to make right sacrifices to God? It's the little corrections that you say, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. Don't speak that way. 
And then it's the major corrections that may come along, the formal corrections that come with consequences, where you withhold something from someone because of the way that they're treating God, because of the way that they're treating the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the way that they're behaving with the body that God has given them, which is meant to be a sacrifice for the living God. That's how we disciple those around us. We give encouragements, which is a very positive thing to do, And there's also the negative aspect as well. When you say to people, don't do that. God's word forbids it. Treat God with honour rather than dishonour. And you may say, but who am I meant to be discipling? Well, the quick answer is everyone. Like Eli, you're meant to disciple your family. He was meant to be discipling his family and disciplining them according to God's word. And so you should look at your family and see them as the first area of discipling ministry from God. And that includes your spouse, your children, your brothers and sisters, your parents. They are your first area of ministry where you're meant to be discipling them so that they are treating God's sacrifice with honour. And then as members of a local church, so you start with your immediate biological family and then you look at your family as a church, your spiritual family. We're meant to be discipling one another and even disciplining one another according to the scriptures. We are meant to function as a church of a a group of disciples who look out for one another, correct one another, encourage one another, and even sometimes formally discipline each other. And we saw that in that passage that we had read for us before from Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is a classic text about the importance of discipline within the church, which was not happening with Eli and his sons. His sons were allowed to continue on treating God's sacrifice with contempt, because no one was taking action against them. Whereas Matthew 18, as we saw before, tells us that if someone is in error, if someone sins against you, you're meant to go and show them their fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over, but if he will not listen to you. So if someone is doing something wrong and he will not listen to you, what are you supposed to do next? Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then what happens? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And that is meant to happen in churches. People are meant to be members of the church. If they're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, they're meant to be a part of a body of believers so that when they do something wrong, people will confront them. And if they don't do the right thing then, if they do not repent of their sin, they get some other people along, confront them. If they do not listen to a few people telling them, you've got to repent of what you're doing, it then goes to a church level. And we take them out of membership. We say you're no longer recognized by us as a brother or sister while you live in such gross error, while you continue to treat God's sacrifices with contempt. We'll treat you as a pagan or a tax collector, which means you're still welcome to attend our worship services, but we'll no longer say, yes, we think you're a believer. You still belong to our membership. And that is a following of the instructions that happens there in Matthew 18. That is a command that is being given to us by the Lord Jesus. And this includes not just confronting people within the church, your run-of-the-mill member, it includes confronting leaders of the church as well. We see that here, that the leaders in 1 Samuel chapter 2 were seen to be sort of a cut above everybody else, and so they were not subject to the Lord's discipline. But that should happen in the Christian church. When a leader is in error, he should be confronted. And then if he will not listen, it eventually goes to a church level And then he is put out of the church and treated as a pagan or a tax collector. 
And this should happen because leaders, bad leaders, treating God's offering with contempt was not just something in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It has happened down the centuries. I've just been reading some, uh, an account, a book on the history of the church, and it's speaking about the medieval church, and as it was reformed, uh, the Reformation came through, and people started to investigate the monasteries where monks lived, and they were meant to be examples of, of leaders of Christ's church, the kinds of things they found going on within the monasteries. I'll read, uh, so this is from de Bignes. Uh, he's got an account uh, of the Reformation in England. So this is in England. It says, in several monasteries, the visitors, their commissioners from the king, found implements for coining base money. In the monasteries, they were forging money. In others, they discovered traces of horrible cruelties practiced by the monks of one faction against those of another. Descending into the gloomy dungeons, they perceived by the help of their torches the bones of a great number of wretched people, some of whom had died of hunger and others had been crucified. So here within the monasteries where you're meant to be having the leaders of God's people, you've got people murdering other people within those monasteries. But debauchery was the most frequent offence. Those pretended priests of a God who has said, has said, Be ye holy, for I the Lord am holy, covered themselves with the hypocritical mantle of their priesthood and indulged in infamous impurities. They discovered one monk who, turning auricular confession to an abominable purpose, had carried adultery into two or three hundred families. So basically, he gets the dirt on people because they have to come to him and confess uh, their sins. And so then he can use that sin uh, that they've confessed as a way to blackmail so that he can commit adultery with people within their family. And it finishes this last sentence. The list of those people who he had committed adultery with was exhibited. And some of the commissioners, so these people who are investigating the monastery, some of the commissioners, to their great astonishment, says a contemporary writer, found the names of their own wives upon the list. They're investigating these monasteries and they're finding out that these priests had actually slept with their own wives by using blackmail. These are leaders of the church. 1 Samuel 2 was relevant at the time of the Reformation. There were priests who were taking advantage, scorning the Lord's sacrifice, And we don't need history to tell us that this is still an issue for us today. The secular media are all too ready to tell us of the sins of clergy, of leaders, of God's people. And so we need to know that discipline should be taken against such people. Eli did not discipline as he should have, but we should, as priests of God, we should take action even against leaders of the church if they're treating God's uh, God's sacrifice with contempt. Also, we move out from uh, disciplining, discipling our family, discipling the people at church. We also disciple our friends and neighbours, those around us. We should be correcting, rebuking, encouraging to treat Christ with honour rather than dishonour. And lastly, we should also be discipling ourselves. We should be subjecting ourselves to self-discipline. We should be training ourselves in righteousness and offering our bodies as first fruits to God. But you say here this morning, okay, yes, we're meant to disciple others, but it's hard work, Joel. How am I supposed to do it? After a mild rebuke, it's hard to go any further than that. And Eli shows that. Eli knew how hard it was to disciple, to discipline his own sons. 
And few of us like subjecting others to discipline. And if some of us do like confrontation and rebuking others, you probably shouldn't like it so much. It is hard to rebuke others. It is hard to disciple others, to discipline others, and particularly if there's meant to be consequences for our actions. Many churches shy away from formal discipline, moving, removing people from membership because it is hard work to do and they know there can be ramifications. And in the United States, there can be legal ramifications. People can sue churches for what they've done in removing them from membership. And so it's hard to do it. So why would we do it? Why bother following through on what we're supposed to do in disciple and discipline others? Well, the man of God gives us encouragement as to why we should do it. The man of God who came and confronted Eli tells us why. First reason, so that God is honoured more than people. And we saw that in verse 29. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me? We should want as Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and believers in God the Father, believers in God the Holy Spirit, we should want to see them honoured rather than dishonoured. Second reason, to be honoured by God ourselves. What does it say in verse 30? Verse 30, therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honour me, I will honour. If you treat the sacrifice of Jesus Christ with respect and honour, and if you treat yourselves, your bodies, with honour and respect and use them for God's glory, God will honour you. He will bless you for showing him respect. And then... Another reason why you should honour God is because if you don't honour him and his sacrifice, he will treat you with disdain. That's the next part of verse 30. It says, those who honour me I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. God will bless you if you show respect to him and disciple others and encourage people to do what is right. But if you don't, if you let people go on in their sin and say nothing and do nothing, God will disdain them. And he will disdain you. He will treat you with disrespect as you treat him with disrespect. But if you do help them, then God will not bring about that disdain upon them. And you may even save lives. Because if those people continue in their sacrifice, uh, scorning God's sacrifice, if they continue to scorn Jesus Christ, they will lose their souls. We see that in verse 34. What happened to Hophni and Phinehas? What is predicted will happen and then we'll see in later weeks. Verse 34. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. They died for treating God's sacrifice with contempt. You can save souls by discipling others, by disciplining others, by rebuking them and following through with consequences on your actions so that they will start to honour God. You can save souls. Yes, it's hard work to disciple others, but you can save souls as a result. So question for you is, do you subject yourself to self-discipline and do you discipline others and disciple others? Or are you like some celebrities who surround themselves with yes-men, people who always say nice things to them, They live in some sort of echo chamber where everybody agrees with them all the time. Is that you? No one would ever say a rebuke to you. People can do that quite easily with 
social media. They live on Facebook. They subscribe to the groups on Facebook that are exactly what they believe and what they love, and that's the only time they interact with people. And so, of course, the people that they interact with are always saying positive and good things to them that they love, and they live in these little echo chambers. Is that you? No one around you would ever say anything to you to confront you about your sin and the way you might be living in scorning the sacrifice that you're meant to be offering to God? Or do you really believe that discipling others and yourself is honouring to God? That when you treat God's sacrifice with honour, he will honour you. Do you know that when you read the Bible and Christian books and pray with others and pray on your own, you honour God? Do you believe that when you repent of sin and take drastic action against your sin, that you honour God? When you get rid of your TV because you're struggling with the waste of time that it may be or sexual temptation that comes through that television set. When you get rid of it altogether, you honour God. When you give money away because you struggle with greed, do you realise that you honour God? Do you know that when you have family worship in your home, you honour God? When you gather with your spouse and your child to read the Bible, you honour God. Parents, do you believe that when you discipline your child, when you tell your child that what they're doing is wrong and take action against them, that you honour God? You honour God. You're helping make a right sacrifice to God. Husbands and wives, do you know that when you encourage each other, you honour God? When you disciple one another, you honour God. And all of you, do you believe that when you sit under the preaching of God's word, when you come on Sundays, that you're actually honouring God? you believe that when you talk about the sermon afterwards, you honour God? When you talk to somebody else about what you heard this morning and you, and you correct them if they have a misunderstanding of what the Bible says or they, they have a right understanding and you say, yes, that's right and true, you're actually honouring God. You're treating his sacrifice rightly. Do you believe that when you sing Christian songs as a spiritual act of worship to God, you honour him? Do you know that when you commit to church membership and its discipline, you honour God? When you become a member of the church and subject yourself to the discipline of the church, that when you sin seriously in the future, someone will confront you rather than let you go on your merry way scorning God. You actually honour God. Do you understand that when you come to a prayer meeting, you show honour for God? When you attend a Bible study to disciple others, to encourage them in the scriptures, you honour God. When you meet up with another member of a church, a brother and sister in Christ, to pray, you honour God. Do you believe that when you encourage an unbeliever to no longer reject the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to accept that sacrifice for them, you honour God? My encouragement this morning to you is don't sin like Eli and receive the Lord's disdain. Fulfill your commission that Jesus has given you to make disciples, starting with you, self-discipline, then your family, then your church family, and then all nations, Jesus says. Make disciples of all nations. Wherever you're interacting with people, you should be seeking to make disciples of them. And then rejoice in the fact that we're in the business of saving souls. That's what we're doing. We're saving souls and honouring God, and he will honour us as we honour him. Now, some of you in this church this morning may be worse than Eli. You're like Eli's sons. 
You have scorned the Lord's sacrifice altogether. You've never accepted the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as the atoning work for your sin. You have had no time for Jesus and his work at the cross. You're not interested, or you may be interested, but then you've undermined it and thought, no, 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 I don't need Jesus as my sacrifice. And your life, rather than using it for the Lord's glory, you've used it totally for your own pleasures, for your own self. Is that you? Well, my encouragement to you this morning is to repent and to ask Jesus Christ to intercede on your behalf for the contempt that you have shown his sacrifice for so many years and for your bodies, which are supposed to be given to God. It's wonderful that God has actually raised up a faithful priest. Verse 35 of 1 Samuel 2 says, this is God speaking through that man of God. He says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. God would raise up a faithful priest, not Hophni and Phineas. He'll get rid of them, get rid of Eli too. He'll raise up a faithful priest. And of course, this is pointing to Samuel, but there's a greater priest, greater than Samuel. Samuel was a good boy. We see that already. But there's a great priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God has raised him up and has established his house. And you can have that priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, intercede on your behalf as well. And you can start to honour God and be honoured by God as you honour the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for your sins. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will change your heart. And you will start to live for his glory rather than your own. Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would forgive us for scorning his sacrifice and not sacrificing our lives as we should for your glory. Oh Lord, we ask that you would help us to discipline our bodies and disciple others so that you are honoured and not despised. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.